the Summer Olympics are a, a they're coming this this uh, next summer, 2024, and they're usually a really uh, special time uh, for Kelly and I. Of course, uh, it used to be you didn't have to have only you know certain streaming platforms or certain subscriptions in order to actually get to see the events that you want to see. Uh, it used to be they'd, they'd just be on TV. It was really interesting. You put a little metal antenna up in the air and you get to watch the Olympics. Well, that changes, I guess, over time. But so Kelly and I got married in 1996, in on July 20th, and so we. Uh, got to watch the Summer Olympics on our honeymoon. And so every four years, we uh, kind of get to remember uh, those days. And, and, and so somehow, uh, though, the, the Olympians, they've gone from being our age to being kids, <laughs> right? I don't know how that happens. But I'm looking at this and I'm like, what is a 12-year-old doing out there doing all these things? Now, I think it's that every four years, I'm just not measuring up uh, quite the same way. Imagine that you're showing up to compete in the Olympics. You, you've been working on this event. You've been trying your best for years. You are a standout person in just the way your body was built, right? So... So you got those long arms to be able to swim or, or you've got that 10-year-old body to be able to, you know, flip up in the air even though you're 20 and things like that. But imagine that, that everyone is told all the gold medals have been won. They've been won by the same person simultaneously. The bar, in fact, the bar has been set so high that the records in these medals will never be achieved beyond what this person has done. In fact, this person is eternal. So they have won all the gold medals for all of the Olympics. This person is, is um, ever-present. They are omnipresent. They won even the events that were happening at the same time as each other. Imagine what it would be like if the highest level of achievement was set. That bar was set, those records were made before the games even began. And you're told you can do your best, but the top spot has already been taken. And he has set the bar in every event that there is no amount of improvement that's going to even get close to what that, where that bar has been set in the coming years. Now, you can understand the level, some certain level of disappointment there. I did all of this to achieve something. And of course, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the achievements of Jesus. And, and as we've seen in, in the Gospel of Matthew in these, in these last weeks, here's where the Pharisees would step up and say, oh, but he was cheating. Oh, but he was going by some other rule book. Oh, but he he, you, you haven't seen how righteous I am yet. Just let me try. We see this morning, though, as we turn our eyes to the Christmas season, the amazing work of God through our amazing Savior in our verses here this morning. So we, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, 
starting in verse 26. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 35 here this morning in Luke 1. And we read, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The first thing that I want to point out to you this morning is that God didn't need an amazing team in order to do his amazing work. Rather, this morning I want to encourage you to be amazed. By God's unamazing players. That's, that's really what's being laid out here in these first verses. The fact that God is up to something amazing is pointing to it involving the angel Gabriel. Gabriel is, as we see throughout scripture, he is like the chief of God's messengers. When Gabriel shows up, people listen. You know, used to be like E.F. Hutton, that was the thing. When they talk, people listen. Gabriel is like a thousand times that. In fact, when earlier in the chapter, when Zacharias doubts Gabriel's message, Gabriel responds in, in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. That's, that's how Gabriel responded to Zacharias' doubt earlier in this chapter. But we're supposed to be a little surprised that he is sent to this little town of Nazareth. This is, this is small town Galilee. All right? This is uh, archaeology has shown since then that they, they have uncovered the town of Nazareth and they've described it as the, a little town at the end of a donkey path. All right? There wasn't any big shipments of anything going to Nazareth. We joke in this area that Nazareth would be called Nazareth Tucky. Okay? This is Backwoods Galilee. Sorry if you're from Kentucky, you understand. But it involved a normal. Also, a normal, unassuming girl who was engaged to an everyday Joe. A, a poor girl, a young teenager in that, in that day and age, she would have been 13 or 14 um, prior to her uh, being married. 
virtually no social status was held by Mary. Again, she was engaged to a local tradesman, and, and this betrothal period was a one-year period where uh, they would basically be considered marry in, married in all ways except they didn't live or sleep together. And, and uh, so Joseph would have been spending this time showing that he can care for Mary and also uh, providing a home for them over this time period. We see, as Gabriel says, Mary is special here because she's favored by God. There's, there's, there's nothing that merited this in her. All right, you guys that are uh, studying Genesis uh, in our small groups, going through uh, the book, uh, key chapters of Genesis, when it talks about Moses, I'm sorry, not Moses, Noah, I switch those guys all the time. When it talks about Noah found favor with God, it's talking about how Noah found grace. Noah was righteous in his day because he found favor with God. When, when Gabriel, in the same ways, when he says, you are favored, favored one, or it, the, the term means in, you are enriched with God's grace. It's talking about, you know, there is nothing necessarily special here about you except that God's grace has fallen on you. <clears throat> you know, think about supporting actors in, in movies, right? They're, they're, unama- they, they're unamazing because they're just supporting players. They're just supporting actors. They're not meant to take over the story. I mean, have you seen a movie that's like this summer coming out to you? A movie that's finally about the guy that throws the whip to Indiana Jones, Right? Or, or remember, you know, that story we finally bringing on the guy on the plane that looks out the window and says, look, it's Superman. No, it would be, you know, it'd be like a 30-second movie. Or, 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 you know, that guy that was saved by Guardians of the Galaxy. Or the one that looks up and says, look, up in the sky. They're nothing to the story except for what they're brought into for that moment about that main character. Mary, Joseph, Nazareth, they're all supporting roles. They're supporting characters. And their purpose is to make the most of the grace and favor of God that has been shown to them. You know, in our culture... What happens in, in the religi- religious nature of our culture, where religion, basically what it wants to accomplish is elevating mankind and, and making God touchable enough that eventually by a little bit of effort, we can make the two meet. Okay, so what, what religion has done in our culture with Mary is it said, wow, look at this special woman. Look at this special person. God listens to her. God shows favor to her. So if you can get her to do something for you, then you can make something happen. Like that billboard I saw in Chicago outside of the Catholic seminary that said, that had a picture of Mary on it and said, 
He hasn't stopped listening to her for 2,000 years. Why would he stop now? Pray to Mary. That's what we do when religion gets a hold of a situation. Who's the bit part in here? Who can we look at here and say, wow, what a great person. Try to be like them. The fact is, guys, the only person we're called to try to be like is the Savior that's being proclaimed here. Not only should you be amazed by God's unamazing players, you should also take the opportunity this morning and and this Christmas season to be amazed by God's amazing plan. Mary's told in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We see in verse 34, Mary says to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Be amazed here by God, how God fulfills his promise to bring the perfect Holy Savior into the world. Mary gets here the authoritative baby reveal, gender reveal, name reveal all at once. Right? From this from Gabriel here. And we see here the fulfilling of the prophecy seven hundred years earlier. Seven hundred years earlier are we told in Isaiah seven fourteen, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Josh is going to cover this next week during our Christmas Eve service. Praise the Lord, Josh is uh, preaching in Newmarket this Sunday. We always love seeing harvesters go out and proclaiming his word. But, but this, was, this was foretold 700 years earlier. In other words... If the Messiah wasn't going to come through a virgin birth, it wasn't going to be the Messiah. That's the, that's the, um, the double bind that God put himself in with every prophecy. No matter how old the prophecy was about the coming Messiah, it had to fit it. And he did it without any problem. So Mary's a little surprised because she's a virgin. Literally, it means she's saying, since I have not known a man sexually... Mary having a child would require a miracle. And Gabriel explains that is just how it's going to happen. The action here described as of the Holy Spirit like a figure of a cloud uh, bringing a shadow over her. The same term is used of describing a shadow being cast on something elsewhere in the New Testament. And this uses language of the presence of God where where it talks about... um, the Most High will overshadow you. It's using the description from the Old Testament of the presence of God as, as, as um, moving in the glory cloud with the nation of Israel as, as Israel followed the presence of God through the wilderness. That, that cloud represents the, the presence and the power of God. And the end result where it says, therefore, 
The end result of this, the goal of all of this, is that Jesus would be holy, the Son of God, rather than being the Son of a man. This would mean that he would not inherit the sin nature that we all are born with from being born by an earthly father. Hebrews 4.14 tells us this, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who's not unable to sympathize. In other words, we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It was necessary for Jesus to live without sin. It was necessary for Jesus to be born without sin, and therefore it was necessary for Jesus to not be born from an earthly Father, or as John one first uh, John three five tells us, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. This is God's amazing plan at work. When I, when I think about God's amazing plan, I think about some of those TV shows I grew up with, where at some point in in that one hour period, you know, even less than that if you take into commercials, this, this group was going to be put or this person was going to be put into an a un, unfixable situation, right? And then you'd have one guy and he's named MacGyver, right? And he was going to, we, we came up with a verb. He was going to MacGyver it, right? He was going to MacGyver something out of this situation. Anybody remember the A-team, Right? Okay, so the A-team, at some point about 8.40 p.m. on Thursday night, a, the A-team, Hannibal, their leader, was going to be like, I've got a plan, you know, and they were going to weld a bunch of stuff together or they were going to make grenades out of, like, corn stalks or something like that, and the plan was going to be unveiled and they were going to fix the situation or save the town or, or bust out of the the you know, the volcano they were in, or something like that. We see here, we're, we're brought into a, a, a intersection point of God's perfect plan. And we are, we are encouraged to be amazed by this. God had a perfect plan at work for thousands of years. And he teased it out and foretold his work for the coming Redeemer over these thousands of years so that he could receive maximum glory. And that no well-thinking person that is really looking at it statistically, that is really looking at the details, that is, has the shroud of the sinful nature lifted from their eyes, that they could look at it and say, this must be the Savior. And he has won every medal, and none compare. And a part, I believe, that of God's plan being played out over thousands of years is to outsmart the devil's attempts to thwart it, and once again, just leave him chasing his tail. We took our kids to the Grand Canyon one year, and we kind of got out, and we spent about 45 minutes there. Right? Because it's a hole. You know? I mean, it, it's amazing, though, but it's an amazing hole. Our kids were literally like, can we go? Are we done looking at the hole? So we went to the gift shop. But, but if you're, you, as, as you've probably stood there at the Grand Canyon, 
And what's amazing is you can look as far as you can look to the west, and you can look as far as you can to the east, and it is unending in both directions. You can look down, and most parts of it, you cannot see the bottom, unless you go on that crazy, like, glass bridge thing to look down. In the same way, God's plan is so amazing. It has been in existence. God's plan to redeem mankind. Let me blow your mind here. His plan has been in existence since eternity past. Before he even made the world. And his plan has ramifications and will continue to play out for millions of years unendingly into eternity future. And it is deeper than we can ever imagine. And it is enough that the world stops every year to stop and try to comprehend it. And we can't. But we should be amazed by it, even still. We should be amazed by God's amazing Savior, how far back his story goes, how his story is never ending. Those who fail to be amazed to the point of repentance and recognizing this is the Savior of the world. will be broken to pieces by his reign. We're told in Daniel 2 verse 44. In those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms that bring them to an and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And Jesus is the king of this kingdom. We're also told in Daniel 4, verse 3, how great are his signs, how may, mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Not only should you be amazed by God's amazing plan that makes use of unamazing players, you should also take the opportunity to be amazed by God's amazing Savior. That's what we're told here. It's like at this point, it's like Gabriel is saying, don't worry, Mary, it's not about you. And I want you to be blessed this season to hear God say, this is not about you. It's not even about your kids or your grandkids. Kids, don't worry. The presents should still be there, right? Because that's how we celebrate it. But we read in verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You can hear what I've already read to you in the prophet Daniel. This description of this coming kingdom of which there will be no end. Even though earthly kingdoms, so much in Daniel is about this kingdom will rise and fall. This kingdom will rise and fall. This coming king will have a kingdom that will have no end. And Gabriel is saying... Mary, he's going to come from you. 
We should be amazed by the greatness of Jesus, our Savior. He's called Son of God Most High. Gabriel affirms that Jesus will be God himself walking among us. The understanding here for what is told about he will be the Son of God, the understanding in Mary's culture is that he will be a carbon copy of his Father. We, we talk about a son being the, a chip off the old block. It's more than that. He, he will be, as Hebrews talks about, he will be the exact imprint of God. God himself. The name references, uh, this name here of, of son of God most high references that the Messiah will be the descendant of David. That is foretold in 2 Samuel 7. David being the king, the, the, the ruler that God put on the throne from the little shepherd boy to king of Israel is told there will one day be a descendant from your line who his kingdom will never end. Same thing that we hear in Daniel as we just read. Where we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 14, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. He will be a descendant of David as Mary was. And I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. The Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of the Father. His father, David, is what Gabriel says to Mary. Jesus is the promised heir of this throne, the king of Israel who will rule the world. We're told in Psalm 89, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And also in Psalm 89 verses 28 through 29, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever as his throne as the days of the heavens. Mary's told of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus will be king of a never-ending kingdom. And this was an important aspect of this promise to King David regarding this, this special heir to his throne. Where we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, in this, this promise to David, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. King David had plenty of descendants that sat on his throne. The line of David. But Jesus will never be dethroned. He will never have to step away from that throne. As God had prophesied through Isaiah. Again. For unto us a child is born. This is Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This will be the one government that you want to grow and grow and grow. 
rather than shrink. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is being told 700 years earlier and Mary is being told he's coming from you. And it's about him. Everything is about him. When you were a student like me in school, you hoped that the teacher was going to grade on a curve. Okay? You know, grading on a curve meant if I get a 60% on the test and the smartest kid in the class gets an 80%, we all get to bump up. Right? That smartest kid is going to get the A+, and maybe I'll get a C. Right? Some classes you had that really, that one really smart kid that planned on graduating at age 15 and going to Harvard because he wants to plagiarize things. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But anyways, when he's in your class, every test he's blowing the curve, right? Like you're hoping, okay, maybe somebody got a 90. He's got a 100. It's like... Thanks a lot, you know, because on my own, I can't measure up here. Here's the deal. Jesus was foretold thousands of years earlier. He was foretold thousands and thousands of years earlier, even just when Eve was told in Genesis 3.16, the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. One day you will have a descendant that is going to fix all this. And Jesus blew the curve of the test on who can be Savior. Before him and after him, there's no chances of anyone ever comparing. You know, there were people that claimed to be the Messiah in New Testament times. In the time of the Gospels, there were people that had, had led rebellions. There were people that claimed to be doing miracles. Were they claiming to be born of a virgin? Were they claiming to have a dominion that was never going to end? The fact is, is that if they couldn't meet one of these prophecies, they were a false messiah. The fact is, is that no one else could fill the role of the Savior that we need as well. But, but, but Jesus didn't come to be our Savior because no one else could do it, all right? It's not like he was sitting on his throne in heaven and being like, Ugh, rolling his eyes, and being like, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. No. That's not the way God does things. God lavishes his grace on those that he redeems. God had intention for receiving the maximum glory, not just by his maximum holiness, righteousness, purity, perfect standard, but also showing grace upon grace, a grace that is almighty and and lavished and, and everlasting on those that he would redeem. And showing his grace by saying, I'm going to do so by securing salvation myself. I have 
set the bar so high, I have made so many boxes that have to be checked, stretching back thousands of years that have to be checked off perfectly, that only I myself would be able to be your Savior. Here's the deal. Even back in the time of Noah, where we talk about Noah found favor before the eyes of the Lord, and, and God flooded the earth, and then God made a promise, never again will I flood the earth, never again will I pour my wrath out on the earth. What happened to all that wrath? What happened for the penalty of all that sin? When God said, never again am I going to pour my wrath out like this, it was being stored up. Just like the penalty of your sin. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the penalty of your sin is being stored up. Here's the beauty of it. Romans 3 tells us that God was passing over those sins in order to pour out the wrath and penalty for those sins on his son, Jesus Christ. First thought we should have there is, Was he able to take that? Was he able to handle that? Was he able to, to his payment to be for all of that? All of the sin of all of mankind for all of time? It had to be God. It had to be the almighty Savior, the eternal Savior, to take on the wrath of the all-righteous God. And that's just like God to do it at great sacrifice of himself. That's just like God to show the grace that he lavishes on his children. We are supposed to be amazed by what Jesus has done. And we are supposed to bow our head and bend our knee and say, God, thank you for paying for the penalty of my sins. Please Attribute salvation to me. Please make it so for me. Just like if you've got a a gift under the tree with your name on it, it's not yours until you take it out and unwrap it. And that's how God has done. He has set up salvation and left for all for us to do is to repent of our sin of unbelief and trust in Christ as our Savior alone. Think back about that image of the track and field events. The one person has blown out all the competition. Like I said, sadly, most people get hung up on the fact that they can can never reach that top spot. They're never going to be able to break that record. Only Jesus has lived the life that is totally acceptable to God. And he set the record bar so high that in every event that no one will be able to surpass it. And the beauty is this, that by Jesus living his amazing life and by dying his death according to God's amazing plan, he's made it possible that his amazing records in every event can become our record. His righteousness can be accounted to us. His wealth can be marked in our account. That's the exchange. He took our sin 
He offers us his righteousness. Jesus paid for our failures and we adopt his success. And God then can adopt us as his children. You know, two men sought to grasp the significance. We've just looked at three prophecies or more about Jesus' kingdom, about his virgin birth, about when he would, we'll we'll look uh, next week at when and where he would be born. But two men sought to grasp the significance of fulfilled prophecy. Uh, Their names were Peter Stoner and and Robert Newman. And they wrote a book called uh, Science Speaks. And the book was based on the science of probability and a peer-reviewed, it was peer-reviewed by the American Scientific Affiliation. And Science Speaks determines the odds that any one man in history could fulfill eight specific prophecies. They looked at eight specific prophecies, but the number eight is what's important here. Eight specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And they, they came to the conclusion that, that this could only be done in, in the chance of one in 10 to the 17th power. That's what that looks like. One with 18 zeros. Okay? That's like uh, you got a, you got a, uh, a million, a billion, a trillion, a quadrillion, a quintillion. One in one quintillion. Okay? Just to let you know, you know how DNA is, is so like dead on. Your D, that's your DNA, that's you. The, the chances of someone having the same DNA as you is one in 70 trillion. And this is thousands upon thousands of times lesser probability than that. You know, this is about rolling a dice um, one quintillion times and only getting the right combination of it. I don't know how that works. Anyways. I'm speaking out of ignorance here. Anyways, I like this picture though. Okay, so if you were to take enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas, we're getting there for this number. Okay, one in that many. Okay, but you'd have to cover the state of Texas knee high. That's a quintillion silver dollars. Okay, so you've covered the state of Texas knee high, and the chance of you, okay, and so somebody takes one of those silver dollars and colors on the back of it, all right, and they drop it into the, all those, state, those, those silver dollars knee high in the state of Texas, and they shake it all up, and it might be in San Antonio, it might be down at the Rio Grande, it might be in Dallas, it might be near Houston, those are the only places I know in Texas. Okay? And then they blindfold you and they take you and put you in a helicopter and they're flying all over the state of Texas for, you know, days. And you finally go, stop, let me out here. And they land and you plunge your hand down into those silver dollars and you pull out one. That's the one in. That many zeros. And you happen to pull out the silver dollar that has the markings on the back of it. That's what 1 in 10 to the 17th power would look like. 
And that is the mathematical probability that Jesus fulfilled eight of these Old Testament prophecies. Fact is, Jesus did not fill eight of the Old Testament prophecies. He fulfilled 60 major prophecies and 270 actions with, with prophetic ramifications. So we just blew this number out of the water completely. I don't know how big you'd have to fill with knee-high deep of silver dollars at that point. I hope that you can be amazed by the baby Jesus. Be amazed by how God made use of unamazing supporting players. Be amazed by God's amazing plan that stretches into eternity past and into eternity future. And be amazed by God's amazing Savior who is just what we needed and undeniably the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God himself in human form who came to save us. That's what that number means. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, may this Christmas season be one that again we say, I believe in you. I trust you. I rest in you. You are my Savior. You are who you claim to be. I am nothing but what you make me. And you make me a child of God. You take me from the lowest place of insignificance. And you set me at a place where I can come boldly into the throne room of God and climb up into his lap as my father and bend his ear and enjoy him. To say thank you for coming is uh, laughable to what you deserve. But you ask for our thanks. You ask for our worship. You want to walk with us in every moment. And we gladly give you that, Father. If anyone here does not know this baby that we celebrate as the Savior that only you could be, I pray, Lord God, that they would receive, that they would repent of their unbelief and that they would receive that gift of salvation that's been purchased for them. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.